Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and finally it's taken me 130 episodes to get to possibly the number one Judge Dredd superfan, senior street judge John Burdis himself. John, welcome to the book club at last. Hello Eamon and hello to all you drockers out there. Thank you, John. Um, so, John, we start with 2080 Origin Story, and I believe, I think we've had you on the podcast tell this before at one of the conventions. We're in Mr. Bennett's news shop, I think, are we? That's right. I was a paper boy when I was 10 years old, if not a little bit younger. And for all our American listeners out there, that's the uh, person who goes around in the early morning or the early evening, because we had an evening edition paper in, in my hometown of Hartlepool. And I delivered the newspaper to the people's houses. And I remember on the morning going in and as you go through the main doors of the, of the paper shop, on the left-hand side was all the comics and the magazines. And I could see all the, all the comics up there. And at the time, I was getting things like uh, Battle and Action and things like that, if I remember correctly, because I used to get lots of different things, Hotspur and Victor and things. And there was a new, a new mag, a new comic up there, and I said to Mister Bennett, "Oh, what's that? What's that new one there, Mister Bennett? I've not seen that before." And he, went, and he just said, "Oh, it's a new science fiction, a Star Wars thing, I think." Um, and so I had a quick look, and I said, "Oh, can you keep this by for me for when I get my pay at the end of the week, sort of thing?" And I started then on that was Prog One, obviously, or should I say Program One, because it was called Program in the days, and I picked it up, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and that was my beginning of my love affair with it because it was just like it was pure escapism you know what I mean I, I'm not a big superhero fan but I do like sort of like tales that have got a little bit of realism but with the extra bit of sci-fi or with flesh science fiction but using the science fiction to go into the past them sort of things intrigue me with the cleverness of the writing and even as a young a young lad it was just um to me, at the time, it was better than anything I was watching on TV, because we—I think we had like stuff like, you know, the, the stuff from the, the early serials of Buster Crab stuff. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, but but reading it and seeing the visuals was fantastic, because the art was so good. And at the time, obviously, we didn't know who the artists were, and luckily, we've we've as fans, we've through the years been able to meet many of these fantastic people who've sort of shaped and warped if you might say our minds at a young age <laughs> yeah and I, if i'm right in thinking it was dan dare at first for you wasn't it yes dan dare was my main thing i enjoyed um i think it was because of the, the I, I was going into the cadets in a couple of years time and i think it was like this, that sort of like military aspect of it for me with dan dare i liked invasion but it was just far it was just mad um, but with Dan Day, it was like, oh, this is good. I, I, I like the art to begin with, and I loved when you got like the biogs and the living acts and things like that because it was a different type of art. It was just, uh, to, to my mind, outlandish, and I just loved the the character wasn't the character from the past. It was a it was a new version of Dan Day for me. It felt like uh, much more. Uh, uh, what can you say? It's not like the the stiff upper lip British or English. Hero. He was just like a normal bloke. Knew what he did. Had to do sacrifices and things. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And it wasn't until he was gone that obviously you've got to then look for somebody else in the in the comic and decide right which one I'm going to go with. And that's when Dread became my number one thing. 
Fantastic. And of course, you're well known for sticking with the prog for 43 years now through thick and thin. And of course, you, as you've mentioned, you went into the cadets, then you went into the military and served Queen and Country for quite some time. How did you keep up with the comic all those years when you were away on service? Amazingly, it was quite well read with the people in the forces. So at the, um, the NAFI, uh, where you used to get your, like, your, your, your newspapers, your tin, your crisps, your sweets and all that sort of stuff when you're away, it was there. It was, it, they would get so many in. And you could actually ask, if you're going to be posted somewhere for quite a while, you could ask, can you get this in for the next two or three months for me? And they would get it. It wouldn't be the same week, but you would get it. Um, so that's what I was doing majority of the time. Then when we had a comic shop in Maidstone where I was stationed, uh, I went into, well, so I tell you, it was Smith's first. I used to get it from. Then there was a comic shop opened up. So I went in there and I put a standard order in there. When the initial comic shop closed down, went back to Smith's, but then another comic shop opened up um, and eventually he closed down, long story short, uh, council dug up the road many didn't get the custom in because nobody could see the shop apart from regulars and the Christmas period it killed him it was a fantastic shop I loved it I loved going in there I loved chatting to the bloke who ran it Graham because he would he would try and sell me other stuff and occasionally I would buy stuff out of the world of 2000 AD uh, but then after that I went back to Smith's um, but the the killer with Smith's was at the time when I was I put a standing order in was they would write in the corner of my prog, I think it was 343 or 303, because that was the box that they had to put all my stuff in. Because I, oh, right. I was getting loads of other stuff as well, like I was getting Dark Side, which is a, a magazine about horror stuff. And so I would come back after like a, a few weeks away and it would be all there. If I was going on an exercise somewhere like in Wales or Scotland or Cyprus or whatever, um, so I'd come back and I'd be like, oh, you keep, if you're going to write it right in the back, you sod, you know what I mean? But <laughs> that, that was the killer. But then when I went off to the the Gulf, uh, for the Gulf War, or should I say for the Brits, Op- Operation Granby, because that's what the British called it, uh, it wasn't uh, like the Americans, like you've got, to, you've got to really make the name of what you're doing sound good, like shield and you know all that sort of desert stuff. storm that's right but i was like operation granby oh yes <laughs> that sounds very british isn't it, that's it yeah. and so i was going out with my uh, girlfriend at the time who became my wife and i always i always joke saying this is why she became my wife so she was going into graham's the comic shop to to get my um comic and then the magazine was produced when i was away and she said oh um like in the letters back and forth oh, there's a new Judge Dredd comic, and I asked Graham, and he said, yeah, we love this, so I've got them for you. So when I came back, I had like half a year's progs stacked up and this half a year of magazines, which was quite good because it was, it was fortnightly at the time. And you're sort of looking, you're going, there's my lovely girlfriend, there's my thrill power, there's my girlfriend, <laughs> there's my thrill power. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, and that, that to me was, uh, was fantastic. And then when it got to 95... I was collecting the Meg, the, the, the Prog, the Roman of the Future, the two DC Dreads, you know what I mean? Um, it was fantastic. So I was getting all of those from Graham's, and it was just, it was really a brilliant time going into the, going into the comic shop, spending hours in there, chatting about everything under the sun, 
picking up my stuff, and I would always, I would always flick through the prog straight away. I'd want to, I would, I'd read Dread in the in the comic shop, but I'd flick through everything else, uh, and it was just fantastic. Um, and then as we got on to now, it's basically uh, the prog and the Meg in Smiths. And what I used to do, as you well know. I would go in there and I would make a big display of all the comic of the prog and the Meg, any special that came along, and just fill up the shelves so it just showed the, the covers. Um, but obviously, because of COVID nineteen, I don't do that now. I just take my prog, take my Meg, and, I, and I'm gone. But uh, I like to do that because I like to just put it on the shelves to see if it catches somebody's eye. You never know; you might get another reader. You, you know, might indeed. Yes. Yeah. Somebody goes in and goes, oh, I thought that had finished years ago. Oh, I'll just pick one up, and hopefully it'll be they'll read it, and there might be one story in there. Even if it's not dread, there might be one story in there that just goes, this takes me back. Oh, I'll get this and walk out, and they might become hooked. You know what I mean? In this modern day, we hear of all these things about sales, of, uh, not just the, the our beloved Prog and Meg, but DC and Marvel stuff just dropping. Um, and you just think... Just to catch a couple of people here and there, you know. I mean, uh, yeah. Whatever way you do it to try and catch, catch a new reader. Yeah, and you might get them for life. You know what I mean? And that's you look at the 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 uh, the fans on all the on the all of the forums and the groups and everywhere. We're all old farts. You need to get these new people in. But how do you get the new people in without upsetting the old farts? So, so that, that's my thing with with the prog. Um, I've never missed it. Um, I've always enjoyed getting it, even even when, and I know, as we'll talk about later on, I have a go at stuff, but I have a go at stuff because I love it, and and you, and I think there was a, a saying said you only say bad things about the things you truly love or something, it, you know, that's just a, a generic variation of it, but if you love something so much, you want it to be the best ever all the time, and and you'll have a go at it constantly. Saying, "I want this. No, that didn't work for me." And and then you're looking on the on the groups, and you're seeing other people agreeing with you. There might be loads of people not agreeing with you, and that's the beauty of of the groups. Is you're getting somebody who doesn't agree with you might give you a point where you go, "I didn't see it from that way." Ah, right. I see how it works now. So it, that's what I like about it. But yeah, okay. Um, that's what that's what's kept me with the prog all this time. I think I'll I'll, I'll think I'll be with it. If it dies out before me, and this is a sad thing, oh, that's what I want to happen, because I'd li- I'd hate to be on my deathbed, thinking, I wonder what happens in Dread next week. Oh, and then I die. <laughs> <laughs> How we can get Dread to you afterwards, John? Okay. <laughs> so we're sticking with Dread, sort of, for today's book. What have you chosen for the book club? I've chosen the three novels or novellas of the Rico Dread, the Titan Years by Michael Carroll. Um, and I've praised these to high heaven and back every time I've mentioned them on, on any Facebook thing, Twitter, everything. I thoroughly enjoyed these books. So, fantastic. So we've got uh, a compilation of the three volumes which came out last year from Rebellion, their Abaddon books uh, imprint. They originally published in three separate volumes, 2014, 2018 and 2019. Uh, Michael Carroll, who likes to tinker with some 3D art himself, did, I think, the original cover concept and then Pi Par punched it up a bit. And then the compilation has got a Neil Roberts uh, image of Rico Dread, hasn't it, on the yeah. front cover. So why these books, John? Books without pictures. Why have you chosen these? 
I th- I think because um, I've got all the novels that we've ever had, the uh, Virgin Books of Dread, the Black Flame, and on this new one by Abaddon, all these I, I bought them all, and I think it's because yeah, the comics are brilliant. Your visuals are pump. I mean, you don't have to read half the time; you can just look at the visuals and it takes you through the, through the story. But we know the worlds of Rico and Dread. We know exactly what it looks like in our minds. So when you pick up this novel, it gives Michael or other creators who are writing them such a, a fantastic way to expand the world and really drag you in with their their fantastic use of words and the way they string you along down blind bends and round blind bends and down dark corridors and then surprise you if you turn right, this happens. Whereas in a comic, it, it, the visuals are there and even if you're at the top left-hand side of the page your eye can see what's down the bottom right of the other page. So you can't help but see what's coming. With a, with, with a novel, it's it's all secret all the time. And his wordplay is fantastic in it. And you can bring a lot more into a novel. You can bring so much more rather than, you know, there's loads of little um, facets in each novel where he reveals a little bit about Justice Department, the silly idiosyncrasies well if you spread that through a comic it would get a bit boring after a while if he kept saying oh did you know this happened but the way he's written it in this and where Rico says things is quite funny and I've always been a, f- a fan of novels as well it's, it's lovely to just sit there I like a complete peace and quiet just sit there lying in bed on, a, on your armchair or whatever in the conservatory just flicking through just taking it all in uh, and enjoying what what surprises are in store. I think it's a brilliant way. And if um, I've always said this about um, J.K. Rowling, if you don't like her stuff, you know you don't have to like her stuff. I'm not a fan of Harry Potter, but her novels have brought so many children into the world of being able to read because they've wanted to get into. They've wanted it's something for them to read. You know what I mean? And they went, yeah. everyone else is reading this. I need to read it, and it might make children be able to read and I think the same with in a, in a slightly less grandiose way I'm a believer in this with, with the novels if you if you're not very good at reading but this is a character that you you thoroughly enjoy and you want to know more about well this could help people be able to read a little bit better you know what I mean but overall it's just good stories I I couldn't see where any of them were going because you just think well he's in he's in prison um, so when I bought the first book, because I, I bought the individual ones first. So that was the third law from 2014. That's right. And on the front cover, you've got the right-hand side of Dred's visor. You're looking into it. You've got the top uh, right-hand side of the respirator pulled down at the top right-hand side of the book. And you've got a image of Rico looking out of the visor. So it's a quite nicely designed cover. Um, and I bought this all those years ago, 2014, and we never saw anything for years and years. And I would keep saying, when's the next book coming, Michael? When's the next book coming? But you've got to rely upon people to buy these books to get the next yes. Because in previous books, uh, David Bishop did The Fiends of the Eastern Front, which yep. about the attack on Pearl Harbor. And I read that book when I was in holiday in Florida and we were in a villa, and the villa... This will make you laugh. So I'm reading the bit about an aerial dogfight, and the villa next door must have had a, hor- a, a war film on so loud, I could hear airplanes shooting at each other in the villa next door, and I was reading an aerial dogfight in the book, and it was just right. surreal. But we never got book two or three in that collection. 
because people didn't buy them. I wish we, I wish we could somehow get that rectified. You know what I mean? Because it would be brilliant yeah. to see what would happen. But that, that, thank God, or thank Drock, I should say, or Grud, we had that rectified with this because it would have been a killer if we never got the second and third book on this. Yeah, indeed it would, yes. So just fill us in quickly on the background and who, where does Rico Dredd start in, the, in 2000 AD and then what happens to him in these novels? Well, basically, Rico is Dredd's clone brother uh, and his middle name is Eustace. And when he comes out of the, uh, the academy, he starts on a slippery slope because he's not as rigid as Dredd. Rico sees himself as a sort of like a friendly old copper from the old days in the UK. You know, you get, you get a slap across the head if you step out of line. And yeah. that was how he be, began to, to go down because then the gangs knew they could get a little bit out of him. So therefore, he became a sort of a kingpin because he built up and let things go. Then he was offered like money and sex was on the cards and things like that in an apartment. And that's how he eventually sort of fell from grace with all within a year. Um, but he saw it differently. He saw it as um, we don't just put them in prison. We give them a chance. If they do something really bad, that's when we sort them out. But we've got to try and steer these people in a good course. But obviously, dread is like the law is the law, no matter what. I follow it to this, that, and the other. Um, and that's basically how the book starts. And then we follow him up to Titan, and we learn what he does up there, which was, which to me was the thing I wanted to, to find out about. But we get everything fleshed out. We get everything that happened on Earth fleshed out for his fall from grace. We get what he did up Titan and why he was altered, because not everyone gets altered on, on Titan. And we get um, how Vienna was created. And then we get the very end of Rico, the very end last book, which we all know about because it's basically, uh, a lot of it's word for word, but we get things fleshed out of what happens in, in, pro, in the prog. And Rico first appeared in the prog, I think it was prog 30, when I was doing my uh, little looking around the other night. It was, yes. And it was just a one-off story, and it was just basically him returning to Earth, going to have his comeuppance with Dredd, and just say, like, yeah, because he was top, because Rico was the best in the academy. Dredd was always, like, a, a, a split second behind him, a couple of shots lower than on the, on the shooting range, things like that. Uh, and like I say, that, that story in the prog was like, you know, you're reading it, lovely artwork, and then you get to the sad ending where Dredd, and there's, there's no spoilers in this, we all know Dredd has to shoot his brother. Um, and that's basically where it started from. And then we had a couple of other stories in the future. I think we had another another version of that done years in the future where it was basically the same story but different artists. But, um, but yeah, it's basically the fall of, a, of the best judge on the block and why he fell or why he says he fell uh, because at the end of these books we find out where they or we find out he's been interviewed by somebody so this is everything he's saying we're not hearing this from somebody else he's saying this so he's made himself to be a bit more heroic than he might have been even though he does admit in some of the bits he does really bad things um, but that's it of the three books he goes to goes to prison, how he settles in, and then a couple of things happen over the over the period of his twenty years, uh, which flesh out the books. Because, like I said, I always wondered when Michael was doing these. I was thinking, well, what can go on up there? That's that's yes. two three books on. But then obviously yeah. you start to read it, and you're like, oh, that's clever. Yeah, yeah. 
what happens to him in 20 because he was gone for 20 years wasn't he on titan yes um yeah so this fills in those 20 years for us with some events up there uh and without giving too much away there's quite a lot to do with a secret military base that turns out to be on titan isn't there that's right that's um yeah it's uh, i think that was the second book yeah that's right yeah Yeah, um something something happens up there and so they have a they have a secret landline from the prison to the base because something happened years earlier and they get a a, a call for the base so they send out some uh, uh, wardens and a couple of prisoners to um see what's happened and then the uh, then when they get there lots lots of exciting stuff happens because uh, it's a military base and who knows what they've been up to um and it's and, and it's interesting on that because you you know that the uh without with because you can't you don't really spoil the story because if people are going to pick these up now it yeah. would start, it would just destroy it but it's interesting that things are on titan that we've never ever known about Yes, and it's so close to the prison, and they don't know about it apart from like the main, the, the main, um, the governor of the prison, and then like I say, they go across there, and things happen that escalate very fast. And Rico needs to use all his skills, his his judge skills, and they're trying to defuse the situation over there. And what happens is basically, it's all taken by surprise. You're in right, giving spoilers. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so hard because that—that's the problem with a book, isn't it? If you yeah. start to reveal even like something near the beginning, it ruins the rest. But something happens up there that's out of control, and Rico manages to defuse it to an extent with all of his judge training. Um, but and he was so close to not being able to defuse it, which would have mean uh, everyone would have died. Which is obviously that's no, no, that's not like ruining the story because obviously you're gonna have to have some big bad things happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the fight sequences that uh, Michael does are brilliant. Um, there's a he he introduces loads of characters which you see throughout the three books. Like the governor is Governor Miles Dodge. You have um, uh, subwardens, Takanega, Leander, people like that, and he fleshes them out, fleshes these people out just enough. That when you get to the next book, and then the third book, you see that how they're brought into other parts of the stories, and how Dread uses certain characters. Because in one of the books, he he admits to basically because he's like a good guy in Titan for the judges. Does step out the line. He's a good guy because he's seeding the way he can get back to Earth without being in trouble. Because you hear other uh, extra judge prisoners up there who just keep fighting and fighting the system so their sentence gets longer and longer and longer. So he's just doing things for his own thing. He, he couldn't care less, really, about the rest of the prisoners. He couldn't care less about the guards, really, but he uses them just enough without without the guards thinking that, well, I'm he's using us here. He just gives them enough to think he's helping them, but that little bit of help is all going to back of Rico's head saying, right, I've got them now thinking I'm... I'm I'm like a real good guy. If I need to in the future, that split second that might stop them doing something is all I need to do what I need to do. So it's things like it's things like that. And what I also did like throughout the books was when uh, Michael throws in like sort of, I would call them interesting facts, but it fleshes out the whole world of Rico and the whole world 
or Titan and some bits of, the, of, of um, what happened on Earth. But it also is a good laugh because he puts he's put things in that you'll just think, oh, he's just done that just for a little bit of um, uh, fun, just to sort of like say, look, we'll do this in here. It's nothing to do with the story, but it'll just give you a laugh. I mean, for instance, he mentions that 100 judges, 100 cadets started the course when Rico was on it. And with three years to go, they went down to 30. And then they reckon only 10 will pass. And there, and then you sit there thinking, well, that's not many passing every year. And I remember many times people said that in groups, forums, Facebook pages. Well, there can't be enough judges. I mean, when they get rid of so many. But then he says there's multiple courses running at the same time. So they're right. like, like 500, 600 pass out a year or that period. Um, uh, you also get like little little jokes he puts in. Like Rico mentions there was pastor in the shape of lawmasters in the justice <laughs> team, which was a joke. Uh, we find out that Judge Gibson was a bit of a bully as a cadet. Um, and the, one of the things I enjoyed was when he mentioned in book one, the reason uh, it, the reason they get 20, 20 years on Titan is because that's how long it takes to pay off their trip to and from the mining colony. And the sentence doesn't start until the day they arrive on the colony. And if they're sick on the colony, so if they're sick for 10 days, then 10 days don't count towards the sentence. They get 10 days added to the end. You work your full 20 years on Titan mining iridium and gold and things like that. So it's things like that where he, put, where he sort of fleshes, fleshes out the story. But he also puts in bits, for instance, he mentions the sobs are making mass drivers in space to fire the auto earth, and you smelt it in the atmosphere to get the iridium out. But that is one of the, another story in the comic, in the prog, that Michael did. So by reading this, I mean, even if you didn't read the prog, but you read this, it wouldn't, it wouldn't spoil anything. But right. when you read the prog, and then you read this, you go, ah, ah you, you, you've done a slight crossover of knowledge across here. So you put little bits in here, but it has relevance to a, to a big story that he did in the prog. And then we find out that um, some cities, uh, used, that, well, they, they were going to stop it, they used to send their citizens, their worst citizens up to Titan. But then they decide, then they eventually decided it was too harsh for them, so it was just judges. Because you didn't get judges from Mega City 1, you had them from all across the planet. And, like I say, the citizens. And where everyone initially thought, oh, everyone get, everyone must go up there and look like Rico in the end, you know, and get the old face done, the lungs taken out, polymer injections in the skin and all that. But that only happens to certain prisoners up there, whether a punishment or... Uh, Unluckily for Rico, something happens, and that has to be done to him. But uh, you also get things about the guards. The guards on there, the Titan, they're actually getting paid, pardon me, by the corporations on Earth. So all the guards are, are happy up there, even though it's horrendous, because they know when they finish their, their years, amount of years, whatever, whatever their tour is, they can easily retire the money that they're given by these corporations. So that's an interesting facet around it. So they're not there as uh, mega, uh, churches from Mega City 1, even though there, there must be a couple up there. Um, but these people are getting paid money, big money in the end. Uh, what's it, what is it? Um, I'm just trying to think what else was there. Because uh, I've written a few things down, so I didn't forget these. Um, we also get a little in-joke that Cadet Wagner <laughs> had, been a had been a chatterbox. Right. 
and that made me laugh because I thought, yeah, he's put that in, obviously, because we all know John, the creator of Dread, but obviously not the creator of Rico. That was Pat Mills. Uh, but yeah, it's little things like that, especially when he mentioned Gibson earlier on. Yeah, and, and all I see then is the the wall of the the honor wall. You know what I mean? With the, yes, with yeah, the badges. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it it he puts some little things in that are like Easter eggs for me, and that's right. What I, and he puts, as you say, he puts an awful lot of flesh on the Titan bones oh, and on yes. Rico's, uh, you know, altered bones, I guess. Yes. And it's it, it's things like, um, because Rico is streetwise with it being a judge, he's not, he's not the university of life-wise because there's one character on, on um, Titan, a female, uh, and he calls her Genoa Amin. And he's been calling her that for years, but her real name is Lauren McRitchie. I think she was, I think she was from uh, Glasgow. Uh, I'm sure it was mentioned somewhere. It is, yes, yeah. And it, it was her joke, but he didn't get it because her name, he was calling her Genoa Amin. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> now I didn't get that initially in the book because you're just reading it. No, do you know what I mean? And just moving on. But it wasn't until they reveal that joke at the end. But but Rico, like I say, he, he might be streetwise, but he's not college of life-wise, you know what I mean? So he didn't get that yeah. joke at all. And that was, that to me, when I got to that bit, I did do a little sort of chuckle. But yeah, then, the, the, you know I mean, the, the story, um, it's well portrayed. You get fantastic fight sequences, um, good movements uh, where uh, Michael's... Describing how dread or whoever he's fighting is using their body, uh, using their um, techniques to paralyze or incapacitate, things like that, where we'd hit people for nerve endings and stuff. So, that sort of stuff I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed the way that certain characters uh, were trying to sort of teach dread a lesson because uh, you get one character in the prison who's taken down by dread himself. So he doesn't like Rico because he knows Rico is the clone brother. So he tries it on with him with his gang of heavies. Um, but yeah, you, you get all that sort of stuff. You get Rico getting put in his place by the guards, you know what I mean? The, yeah. The, the really, um, uh, the, the sort of, not the bad guards, but the hard line guards who won't stand for anything, you know what I mean? So you get all that. So, so Rico knows his place in the prison. But like I say, he's sown those seeds all the way through the novels. Um, about him trying to get his own stuff to protect himself. Yes. But, but yeah, um, at the end of uh, book one, basically something happens and he gets then altered with all the stuff that we know Rico from. From those famous images from Mick McMahon. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and they were sort of um, horrific at the time for you. Know, I, mean, you I mean, we were 10 year olds and the person's got all his face altered his nose has gone after I saw all, all those bits going in his lips are sealed shut just so he can live on the on the um the sur- where he can work on the surface um like, like you say when he when he mentions all this stuff the polymer going into the skin and his eyes have this the eyes are taken out and then coated with a substance which will protect them from the cold but the thing with this is Rico gets told after your prison sentence you'll get your lungs back this will all be reversed all that sort of stuff uh, obviously, uh, as we all know, that's a lie. Everything, yes. Everything was put in the incinerator. Uh, but Rico didn't react when he was told that. He just wanted to get back to Earth and and 
have his comeuppance with, with his brother. With Joe, yeah. That's right, yeah. So, John, you mentioned that Rico Dread was created by Pat Mills and Mick McMahon in Prog 30. Yes. Which brings us to the slightly controversial issue of who owns house characters, because Uncle Pat we all know and love, but he, he does get uh, cross about certain things. And one of the things he got cross about was this series of novels, it seemed, because he felt that uh, Rebellion were using his character without asking him first. Where do you stand on that and these, um, the, you know, the Rebellion 2000 AD characters, who owns them? Do you know, that, that, when that actually happened and I saw it on the web and the things that were being said, I, that was one of the only times, no, it was the only time I ever sat on the fence because I love Pat Mills and I love Michael Carroll because I love both their style of writing. Uh, Pat can get a bit preachy with his stuff in the end, but, uh, you know, I mean, he's been doing the writing for flipping and God knows 50-odd years. Um, to me... It all boils down to, uh, in the end, I, I know I'm going to get people screaming at me. Ah, oh, you the rebellion on the characters. That was the that was the that was the contract people signed all those years ago. Just like musicians signed contracts, you want to get into the business, so you'll sign any old thing. Well, we we you would think people nowadays, musicians and artists and whatever, would would hear all these things, the horrors of the past, and say, let me. Just check every single bit that's in this contract. But they don't because they want to have this written. And it's sad. But at the same time, I do believe that fair recompense should be given to the creators of these characters. So the the, the problem with the Rico character was it was one story 40 years ago. Oh, sorry, 30 years ago when the book was written, roughly. And I... It's, it's difficult because, yes, rebel, if, if it was like a... I know it's a major character, but he didn't have much in the prog ever. You know what I mean? Probably yes. had some 40 pages in the prog, all told. Do Rebellion then contact the creator of that and say, yeah, you did that, that per, the, we're going to do a book on that. It's like, it'd be like having, yeah, you create a tweak uh, and we've seen that, that character once outside of the Cursed Earth storyline, I think, uh, you can't contact everybody all the time about minor characters, even though he'd become a major character. It's the same sort of minor character as, um, what's his name, out of Star Wars, uh, Boba Fett. Yes. He had 11 minutes in a film. Didn't say much, didn't really do much, <laughs> but he became a major character, and that, to me, is the equivalent of Rico. Very difficult, but I do believe that courtesy, they should have... If they were gonna, if they wanted to have books written, they could have asked Pat first. And if Pat didn't want to do it, they should have said, "Well, we've got Michael lined up. If you're, we got, we will have another writer lined up." But then I know with Pat saying that if he does stuff in France, he gets, uh, and, it, and somebody else uh, continues to write his book after he's decided I finished with that book, he gets a percentage, and the artist gets us a percentage if he's not on the book, yeah, of the sales. I think that's fair. You should get percentage of, of the sales and stuff. But then again, these things are just don't sell in the numbers. But 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 that doesn't stop things being correct. You know. You, okay. It's it's a difficult thing. It, it, it is I, a tricky I, issue. Yes. I, I like I say that's why I sat on the fence when it when it all kicked off because I just I just thought it was really 
it was horrible to watch because yes, and they're two as you say they're two creators that we we like both of them, don't we? Should have been should have been done behind closed doors that sort of argument. Yeah. Okay, let me move you on to slightly less controversial ground then, because you've mentioned other novels from Rebellion 2000 AD over the years, and I counted currently on their web store, they've got over 100 novels, mostly in digital now. They've sort of like the uh, paper printers run out. But um, there's some great stuff and some great creators who've written for them, isn't there? Oh, yes. I mean, you've got... um, I'm just trying to think... One of the lads who does, um, oh, what you call it, uh, Warhammer stuff, James Swallows, he's done some early stuff when it was Black Flame. Oh, right, yeah. I like them. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at my shelf here now where there's loads of Dread, loads of Anderson. The Anderson, the Anderson's by, uh, let me just make sure I've got his name correct, Mitchell Scanlon. They were really interesting because you you went right into like how she uses their psi powers and things like that. So I really enjoyed them. Uh, you also had Strontium Dog ones. There were some fun stuff in there. A mixture of writers on them. Uh, Simon Spurrier did one of those as well. He did proper. Oh, right. Um, I'm just trying to see the name. David Bishop did a couple of dreads. David Bishops did a few. As you say, he did the Fiends of the Eastern Front novels. Uh, yeah, Gordon Rennie did the very first. Uh, uh, Black Flame, he did the Dread versus Death, which was a tie into the game. We also had, I'll just sort of move up a little bit because I've got them. There's so many books, I've had to cover some up with the other books. You've got the ABC Warriors, you've got Durham Red, got, uh, you've got Slain, they were good. You've got Cabalistics, which I thought were brilliant. And yes. When the Cabalistics um, comics, when the Cabalistics were in prom, it wasn't really my sort of scene. I read it, but I didn't really sort of think much. It wasn't until I got the novels, and there was one specific novel where it was set in London, and it was like, it was one of those ones where, you know when you watch a film and, and the people are travelling around a major city that you've been in, or yes. you've lived in, and you go, well, that's not the way to there. That, that's not the way to there. Hang on, you're all up, that's out of alignment. That doesn't make sense. The one that it was in London, it was bang on, where he was moving. So you, you could close your eyes, and you could imagine you're following the route of what the protagonists were doing. And that's what really got me back into the Kabbalistics. And so ever since then, I've really enjoyed them and the spin-off stories. But I always recommend re- recommend those for people to get. But they were all fantastic. And then we get this new uh, lot of books. Well, I tell you, we had the early books, didn't we? The Virgin ones, Nine Dread ones. That was a mixed batch, but there were some really good ones in there. But ever since we got the the Abaddon books, the year one, year two of Dread, and now we're currently on the first book because we had three books uh, per um, omnibus, we're on the first book, which is again by Michael Carroll of Year Year Three, and I've just got that here. Right. It's a uh, Fallen Angel, Michael Carroll. So that's the first, because um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Year One and Year Two only came out individual books as digital. When they came out in the omnibus, that's when they became paper copies, and I wish they'd done individuals for them. Uh, but it looks like we're getting individual books for year three onwards. You all, we've also had year one and year two of Judge Anderson, uh, and the first book, or all the stories were written by Alec Worley. Uh, they were good, they're good fun, um, and then year two it was by three uh, female writers, uh, Danny Ware, Laurel Stills, and Zena Hutton. I enjoyed them. We've also got the judges, uh, which is the initial years, how the judge the judge sort of like um, 
uh, world was created and we've got them and the, the sort of show master of that is Michael Carroll which I was really happy to see so he does the opening novel of each of those omnibuses uh, you can also buy those individually so you've got year one and year two of that you've got um, also The Fall of Dead World which was yes. a pre-book omnibus by uh, Matt Smith who's Tharg you've also I'm just looking on my shelves here there's also a very rare one which not many people know about it's the uh, Alpha Sternhammer Years number one by Matthew Smith and it's a Australian dog and it's called Among the Missing and this is done the same way, I think it was going to be done the same way as the Rico books, because we've only got one book from this, and this was, oh, it was published 2018, so there's still a chance, oh, sorry, first published 2013. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so it was a copyright I read there, 2018. But yeah, so first published 2013, so it came out before the Rico first book, so we've not seen one of these, and it's sad because... To me, it, it shows that only the world of dread sells, you know what I mean? But, but Strong Dog's the next biggest name. Oh, sorry, there was Rogue Trooper books by yeah. uh, Black Flame as well. And it, 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 that's what kills me because I want more books. I want to read more books, but you just know, it, will it only be the dread world again? That it's sells. The, because we had Dante books as well by, I think that was Bishop as well, in the Black Flame, and they were brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed them. Um, it doesn't help that I enjoyed the character in the prog as well um, but yeah there's quite a few I'm just looking up now to see what's well I was going to say there's so many uh, you've mentioned some of the great creators I think the only name we haven't mentioned perhaps or you, maybe you said it was Al Ewing yes uh, Alec Worley as well I mean yeah there's there's novels and novels they're all great stuff on the 2000 AD website uh, and you've got an awful lot in your collection by the sounds of it yeah, I've got them all. Yeah, all in yeah. paper. It, it killed me to get them in the digital initially when it came out, but I, I, I knew, it said it wasn't coming out in paper, so I thought I'll get it, I'll read it. But I just like I prefer the feel of the book in my hand. It's yes, you know what I mean. Whether it's like oh, you're an old fuddy duddy. No, it just feels nicer. You know, you you sit there and you you just the sound. You no, know, you're flicking through it. And Turn it's the pages, nice. smell the book. Yeah, it's like right. So people stream music nowadays. Well, I don't buy albums anymore, as in LPs, but you can't deny that the, the artwork on an LP, in your hand, looking through it, looking through what they said, the, the cover notes, brilliant. You know, CDs are good. I, I still get CDs now because I want to I want to own the thing in my hand. Yeah. So all the new music I get from like up-and-coming bands, I'll buy their CD. You know, they put the effort into designing it. They put the effort into putting bits and bobs in there. I'll, I'll pay the 10 quid for that CD or whatever it costs. And that's what, I, that's what I like about these books. I mean, I'm looking on the shelf now. Those judge volumes where they've got the um, uh, the names, you know, you've got the, the judge uh, badge at the top, judges, volume one, volume two, then it's Michael Carroll. You've got the names below him. We've got Charles G. Eskew, George Mann on book one. Book two, we've got uh, Maura McHugh and Joseph Elliott Coleman. And then below them, it says edited by, it's Michael Carroll. And then you've got the, then you've got the cover art, and then the little abandoned books logo, and it just looks nice on the shelf. You know what I mean? I just, yeah. think, I, I, I like where I'm sat now on the computer. On the left hand side is a bookshelf in an alcove next to the fireplace, and I've got all of the um, Judge Dread, the uh, mega collection on these shelves. I've got the Master of British Comics, uh, Master of Comics, Rock of the Reds, 
the Shade Lamp Conspiracy, Scarlet Traces, El Mestizio, all my books are here, all nice and close to me. So I can, it just looks good. And you just, you know, the novels are fantastic. You know, I, I, it, it's like, uh, I've also got all the um, the audio CDs as well, because they were quite cleverly done. Um, it's just like, it's another, I can't understand why people dismiss books. They, yes. Well, Dredge a Comic. Yes, it is a comic. But wouldn't you uh, wouldn't you like to have another variation of how to how to enjoy a tale? You mean, I mean, when you pick up uh, when you pick up a novel, let's let's forget about dread. Say you're you're reading a novel and it's so good and you can't put it down, and then uh, let's say you're exhausted and you start and you think I'm going to have to put this down. I'm knackered, and you look at the clock and you've been reading for like three or four hours, and you're like, my God, where the time go? Because you were just living the book that you're reading, lost in a book. That's right. Whereas a comic uh, with with the prog, it's it's only five or six pages long. The strip. It's going to end. Doesn't matter. How, doesn't matter how exciting it is. It's it's ending there. You have to wait till the next week to get it or the next month for the magazine. With the novel, it's there. The whole thing is in your hand, ready to go. You can you can read a couple of chapters at a time and go right. I'll read the I'll read the next two chapters tomorrow night, or. You could just go blasting through it, which I have done before on um, certain novels where you just went, oh, I need, I need to do work, I need to do work, I need to get some sleep. But no, I've only got 100 pages to go. I'll go for it. You know what I mean? Push on, yes. That's right. And it, it, it is a fantastic medium. And it's a different kind of writing. I've talked to uh, Dan Abnett about this. And as everyone knows, Dan does uh, novels. He does screenplay stuff. He does... Uh, uh, comics, you, you know, he does it all. And he's I a busy chap. He was explaining the difference of how to write a novel to how to write uh, a story for the comic, and it was fascinating stuff because you have to really change your approach. And I know people will be going, "Yeah, well, it's obvious, John, isn't it?" Yeah, well, it is obvious when you sort of sit there, but it's listening to a master of his trade explain how he does things and why he does things. You know what I mean? It's like with this. You didn't have to put those at least regs in, you know what I mean? But the way he puts them in, it doesn't spoil the flow of the story and it doesn't take you out of the story, which it could do in the prog if there's something in the background because you're flowing through the words and the panels, nice panel, nice, oh, oh, that's such and such, I know who that's about. Well, that's took you right out of the flow of the story. Um, but I, I highly recommend these these uh, these books because they are really enjoyable and like I say you can't say too much about what goes on up there because that just spoils the the surprises yes well we've been very careful to to avoid spoilers that's right but uh, yeah let's just say Rico Dread the Titan Years the compilation is still available in paperback for eight ninety nine, or you can get it if uh, if you're going to do the digital thing, you can get it for four ninety nine digital. But of course, you've got the the paper copy, John, and you prefer those. And the uh, the paper copy is like four hundred and sixty odd pages long, as in the story and stuff. And you do get how uh, the, the uh, at the very end, because we know all these things happen. You get before he meets Dredd, he goes back to Earth, you get how he creates Vienna. Yes, we hear about Vienna, his daughter. That's yeah. right, and that, that's an, an, an interesting thing. It's only a few pages, that little bit. but It, it I, explains it, something that's long been a mystery, doesn't it? That's right, because you, everyone's thinking, well, when did he do that? When yes. did he do that? But, uh, but yeah, in, and he ties off 
he ties off something from the very first book, how he how he how he falls into the bad life. He ties off something with somebody on the very end before he, when he gets back to Earth, uh, and that was quite cleverly done. It's a it's a name that's that's a predominant name in the first book on Earth. He explains what happens at the very end, and that you know that's the sort of thing I like. You know, he knows that that's the end of these books. There's nothing more you can do. You can't keep putting secret things up and doing this that, and the other all over Titan. So you, you only get a few things uh, over the twenty years. But yeah, fantastic stuff. I'd like to see other books on this sort of, on this sort of scale where you take a character that we've liked. You know, I mean, like Judge Decker. You know, what yes. I mean? Everyone says, and I think even Wagner says he killed her too early. Um, so or it was, she was killed off too early. Things like that, where you take somebody out and you just go right, let's go, let's go with this because everyone everyone enjoys, or they've said they've enjoyed this character, but um, but it, I think it could only only work in the dread world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So John, let me take you from the written word to printed artwork because you do have an original art collection of your own, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I originally artwork and earn quite a few commissions. So if I could offer you, because we've got slim pickings, obviously, with novels in terms of artwork, uh, either the cover images or any image of Rico from the history of the prog, what would you choose as your grail page? Do you know, it, it, when I think of Rico, there's only one page I can see, and that's the very final page where Dredd shoots them and then he picks him up when everyone's sort of like, we'll take care of it sort of thing. And he picks him up and he says, I'll make it. He he ain't heavy. He's my brother. And that image is just fantastic. It's uh, it's poignant. It's the love of a brother to another brother, even though he's had to take him down. And obviously, you can sing it if you want. <laughs> but I just think it's, it's a fantastically uh, done page. Five panels. The, the sadness of Dredd having to take down his, his brother. Yeah. to stand back, I'll do it. Uh, very sad. And who would have thought that we'd have come come to what the books are? But, yeah, that image, I mean, I'm sure somebody owns it somewhere, but I've never seen it pop up online. No, I've never seen it. Goodness knows what that page would cost from, oh, you know, God, Prog yeah. 30. We'd have to ask uh, Dale Jackson to let us know, I guess. But, yeah. Okay, so that's a great page. A Mick McMahon page from Prog 30. That becomes your grail page uh, and will appear in the uh, all the socials when this episode comes out, John. Great. Okay, let's turn to the guest projects part of the show. Um, what What's happening with the Cellar of Dread? Is it still a thing, John? Yes, I posted up uh, something the other day. Oh, uh, right. The Bolland Dread Badge from Planet Replicas. Oh, yes, of course. That that came up uh, last Wednesday for sale. There was a there was 50 versions of the gold-plated one. Now, that, it looks nice, the gold-plated, but I like the metal-plated one. I just like that sort of, like, warning look. I've yeah. got a couple of gold-plated ones in the collection, but all of these Dread Artist Edition ones where we've had uh, McMahon, uh, well, I'm just trying to think, we've had McMahon, we've had Jock, Carlos, and this is the fourth one, Bolland. I've gone for the the metal version of this, and there was a hundred, the fifty gold plated ones sold out, if I remember correctly, within twenty five minutes. I think they went for fifty five quid, and the metal ones there were a hundred of them, and they sold out within a day. I think it was, and they were uh, 50, uh, sorry forty five quid, and you get them within a couple of days. 
if you're in the UK, obviously, if you live abroad and whatever, it takes a little bit longer. But I've seen them turn up in people's people's Facebook uh, feeds. Um, I might turn up, and I did a, a little article. I did the exact same pictures for each badge. I set it all up in front of the Judge Dredd wallpaper, put it on the tables, take the same pictures, do a little blog. I put that on the seller of Dredd, so that went up the other day. But the, the problem is, I, about three years ago, what was it, two years ago, I woke up one day and I just went, that's it, I finished collecting, that's it, um, psh, gone. And so I, do, I only collect the things that I think are, are fantastic. Um, I've got these massive models that are like £500. Yes. Uh, but I don't like most of them. Um, uh, I think that was part and parcel of me just losing my love of, of collecting things for the sake of collecting. Well, that's, when I first started the collecting, I was on eBay, and I would go on eBay three or four times a day searching Judge Dread Rare, Judge Dread uh, Limited, Judge Dread, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I just search and search and search. And it was enjoyment. You wouldn't tell anyone you're looking for something, but you would eventually get it. Even when I was on holiday once in Barcelona, I said, to, this was before I had a, more, a, a smartphone. I said to Cameron, I'm just going to pop down to get something from one of the shops. And I went into the cyber, cyber cafe and, and I was putting bids in. I was going to go and win these three um, second series phone cards to finish up my collection of the second series of the Dread phone cards, which I'll get into that in a second. Um, but I, So I logged in, but I forgot we were an hour behind or whatever it was and I'd missed. But I eventually got them anyway. But that... that um, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's season two of the phone cards so I got season one it was 18 cards with a special card number 19 and a big folder with a big post on it and they were costing about I think it was £10.50 a card I got that framed up in a massive frame all the cards it looks really nice and then year two started on the second series we got to put uh, card nine out of the 18 and we all got uh, a message from the person who was doing it saying Oh, uh, I have to put these cards up in price to like 14 quid or something. So I got in touch. There was a phone number on there, and I got in touch and told them where I could stuff them. I thought, hang on a second, we're halfway through a, se- a series. You can't alter the price now by, by nearly a half. And I said, well, who's going to buy the last number 10 onwards? Because who wants to buy half a set? And eventually through the years, I would see one on the eBay, buy it without saying I was doing it. Never told anyone I was, I was looking for them because you know people like they think, ah, that idiot Burdus will pay big money for this. And eventually I bought the last few cards that I needed for about £5 each. But that, but they were the rare ones. The person didn't know the value. It's not up to me to tell them the value. That's Sam doing a noise that was sorry. That's uh, right. not, up, not up to uh, me to tell them the value so I bought them so I got the whole, whole, whole set. But then you got, um, and then we had that fantastic period where we had uh, Mesco doing stuff. You had 3A doing beautiful figures at a fantastic price. Then the daddy of them all, and I can't praise Planet Replics enough because he's a fan. He's part of the team that did Judge Minty and the Strong Dog fan film. Yeah. He knows what the fans want. The things he brings out are a decent price. You know, I mean, when the, when the things get too expensive, then you're only going to get a few people buy it. But if you bring up things that are reasonable, and, I, and I've always believed this, you will sell more items uh, because people think, oh, I don't mind spending 30 quid on that or 40 quid on that. I mean, these badges, 
45 quid post plus postage and packaging. They're, they're so hefty. The build quality is out of this world. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't fold it. So I still get uh, things from them. But the problem was you got these big hitters who came in designing these massive statues of dread and they were ex- expensive. And I've got one, two, three, four, I think it's about five I've got. Yeah, I, there was uh, a dread, the initial dread, which when I, when it turned up, I was actually furious because it was so bad. The build quality was fantastic. But it had like seven or eight on the counter on the lawgiver. He had these weird designs all the way down the leathers. He had the wrong colours on things. It was things like this, and the base was equally as big as the dread figure. Now, when I want to buy a dread figure, if it costs 500 quid, I must be paying at least 200 quid for that base. If it's a, if it's a, another figure on it, who's as big as dread? I don't want that. Give me the dread figure on an on an average base, and it'll be a lot less money to to begin with. That's good. But I'm not buying a dread model to have some figure I'm not really bothered about underneath them. If it had been a major character, say it would have been Mean Machine on the floor, fair one, but it was a it was a, a minor character. Uh, so I didn't like that one, but I stuck with the firm. Then we got a, um, just trying to think which one was next, I think it was Death. That was quite well done, but the wrong, it was too bright, the colour. Um, then we had, I might get these the wrong way around, then there was the Dread, uh, movie Dread, where he was stood with his right leg raised or his left leg raised yeah. on the wall. I liked that, but I thought that the holster looked way too big. It, it looked, it might have been exactly right from the film, but it looked weird on the on the figure. But the best one is the dread on the lawmaster. Yes, that with the lights light up. I mean that that was hefty. So you you pay a lot of money to get in the UK. You pay you pay five hundred pound for the statue. You pay about hundred odd quid plus postage and packaging. Then you get hit with your taxes, and and they always keep it. So you've got to pay for it to be stored as well, while before you can get it. And that's what winds up the most. I didn't ask people to hold it for me, so why have I got to pay for it to be stored? So, but that statue is beautiful. It is, and I went for the weathered look on that. And the sad thing was, a couple of people when theirs turned up were damaged. Oh, yes, damaged. I saw. Yeah. Oh, it, and that breaks so your sad. heart, doesn't it? It does. But then you have these other two statues come out at the same time. So one was the same firm, and another firm popped into the into the into the group with another another two dread statues. You think, my God, where's Anderson? Where's where's the where's the rest of where's the rest of the dark judges? Where's Mean Machine? Where's the big big the big hitters? Yes. Um, so they showed these two, and I'm like, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And I, and so I was very vocal in these groups saying, if you keep buying this which is wrong and you're all saying it's wrong all you'll get is another statue down the line which is equally as wrong if you are said sort this 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 out then come back to us then i probably would have bought one but it was that sort of stuff that were like led partly led to me just waking up that day and just going i finished and then i get i, I get people um saying oh, almost kill when something comes out and you and you you, you miss out i said i'm not missing out I'm not interested. I will quite happily post up uh, under my own Twitter feed or the Everything Goes Back 2008 uh, Twitter feed. This is coming out in like tomorrow. Make sure you don't miss out. I'm quite happy to let other people see it. I'm just not buying everything anymore. You're not I'm, in for everything anymore. No. That's right, because that, that fun and excitement is, is gone. So, And I've always said, 
within five years of me deciding that was it, then I'm going to start selling the stuff that I, I'm not bothered about. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the books stay because I, I, I love that. But many figures and things that I've, I've opened to look at and just went, oh, yeah, and then put it away, that sort of stuff, will just be like, yeah, I'll sell that, I'll sell that. Uh, because what am I going to do with it in the end? My young lad, you can probably hear in the background, well, not young lad, he's 21, he's got autism, what, what, he's not interested in any of it. So it's all going to just be like when somebody takes over the house when we're, when we're dead, it'll be like, well, what's all this crap in the cellar and the attic and all around the rooms? Right, being all that, it'll be all gone. So I'd rather give other people a chance to, to buy it in a couple of years' time. But I still enjoy the uh, the... the the specific collections, the collecting that I do. Yes. I still enjoy the books. I, st- I mean, uh, Scarlet Tracer's book, that was a surprise when that came out. You know what I mean? I yeah. enjoy- enjoyed that tale in the prog. It's just things, it's got to be something that I can see the love's got in- gone into it. Like The Masters of British Comic Art by David Roach. What a fantastic book that is. That is, isn't it? I and That is now, I can just reach that. That's, that's me touching on the bookshelf. That's how close it is to me. I love that book, and it's one of those, it's like a big coffee side, a coffee table book. You just sit there, flick through, it's beautiful. Um, and that's what I, I want. I want things where you know that the person who's who's, who's created it, and exactly the same with this, the, the, the um, Rico books, the person who's, who's written this has thoroughly enjoyed writing it. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? You can see that in the writing. You can see that in many of the things that we, that we collect, book-wise and things like that. But I and I saw that with the three A stuff. You could see that the person who owned the firm, and he he, he admitted he loved he loved doing it. He knew it was a, a loss leader type thing. It was it wasn't selling. That's why they had to stop in the end. But he loved the he loved it as much as we loved it. You know, and that's that's what it boils down to in the end for me. I need to know that the people behind us love it as much as we love it because and and this again goes back to like when I complain about things. I only complained about it because. I love it so much. I don't go down the street and go, oh, that house is a bit horrible, <laughs> because I couldn't care less about the house. If there was a prog line in the gutter with the pages ripped, I'd go, oh, God, who's done that? Because that that's the thing. I love it, these things. And that's why, initially, I did the Cellar of Dread. I was, Which we can find at cellarofdread.blogspot.com. Yeah, if you just write in Cellar of Dread, you'll find you'll it. You'll find it. I'm, there's, there's, I've not been doing it for a long time. It's like once in a blue moon because life gets in the way. It's a lot of, it's so much hard work to do it. I mean, because what I've got to do is I've got to take, I've got to wait till it's, especially in the winter, I've got to wait till it's nice and sunny in the back in the conservatory. Now I work nights, so I've got to either do it when I get up or do it in the weekends when I'm off. So I will take the pictures and I'll set up the, the background, which is always the um, the uh, wallpaper, the dread wallpaper. Yes, folks, there is judge dread wallpaper out there. And so I set that up and I'll take all the pictures Then I'm going to crop them. Then I'm going to do my writing. I've got to check me um, prices and things like that. So it's getting it all together, which is the killer. And I have loads that are like 90% ready. But again, it's just getting the time. Finding and then, the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like the current period. I mean, I've just had me two weeks off. And we didn't go anywhere. We just stayed at home, but we went around the southeast, seeing places and doing lovely country walks and things like that. So you then don't have time to even do it in your time off. Sure. Because you want to spend the time with your family. It's a very it's it it saddens me that I've put the effort into it as of late. But 
eventually I'll, I'll start to uh, collate more stuff and get it prepared. But it, it's get like I say, it's getting the time. I mean, John, let me because we're running out of time a bit here. Let, let me tell you. Let me ask you about something else that takes up your time. Let's talk about the original podcast. Everything comes back to two thousand AD. Um, what's happening with the with yourself and Flint and Ross at the moment? Uh, we're recording tomorrow, uh, and we're preparing uh, the Droctober event for this year, which anyone who knows, in October, I changed it to Droctober, and it's basically, um, we give people things to do throughout every day of the month, so it's art, stories, um, uh, pictures with, with like, if you've been, if you've got a fantastic picture of you at con, uh, or a signing, or cosplay, put that up, give us a few words about it. Now, people might think, oh yeah, but we did that, we did that specific thing last year. Yeah, but you've got to remember, people don't just have one picture of a fantastic event that happened when they were at a con, and as the groups are getting bigger and bigger, we get new people come in who, who were shown us artwork or stories that we've never even heard of. So that's what we're planning again for this October, so it'll be Droctober. Uh, but the rest of the things, we review the prog, and we just have a good laugh. I mean, I know some people don't like it because we speak our minds. Uh, we might go overboard a couple of times, but again, that's, for me, that's because we love it so much. And I have a laugh because I see it through military eyes. So I see something wrong. I, it jumps out instantly to me. And you ask any other military person, I'm sure it's the same with you. If you're watching uh, a doctor type thing on the TV yep. uh, and something is blatantly obvious, you'll turn to your good lady and say, well, that's wrong, isn't it? You, you can't help yourself. Yeah. So it, it's things like that. So if I'm reading something, I, and, I, and but I always quote, and I mentioned it before, Dan Abnett. He's never been in the military, but when I read his Warhammer stuff, it is absolutely stunning. Um, and he got he and Carolyn got me into Warhammer. And strangely, this all comes down to books, because when the Black Flame series of books finished, and she was getting she was talking in the comic shop with Graham. Dan was there, and Dan said, "Well." John will probably like the uh, Horace Heresy books that I started because there's about, I think about 54 books I've got now and he started the first book off and then he probably didn't like book 15 and 30, whatever. So she got me, all, she started me off on them. And that, that I think that was when I was in the Gulf. No, when, I, don't know, I don't know when that was actually, I tell a lie. Uh, but she started me off on them, so I've read them. But that's a, that's a creator who's never been in the military, but he writes fantastic military sequences. And so when I'm reading like uh, a military-esque type story or there's military tactics and things, and I'm like, oh, and that's again, that's the love, partly including with my military. So I will pick it up completely. Now, Flint will pick up artwork because he's an artist. Uh, Stephen Ross will pick up writing because he does a lot of writing and things. So we're like a, a, a mad uh, uh, threesome of nutters. But yeah, if we didn't like it, we wouldn't say the things we do. Now, like I say, uh, we review the prog, but we talk about everything we do beforehand. So it's not just the prog. We give people a little chat beforehand about what we've done in the week. Um, it's basically, we believe, if you went into a pub and you met a couple of mates, um, especially from, say, from the from the dread groups, so you went to the forum, uh, sorry, you went to the Facebook pages, and you went at a convention and a couple of mates sat down with you, you'd go, oh, what have you been up to? And then you'd rattle off a few mad tales, and then you'd talk about the prog afterwards. So that's how we, we sort of like describe it. We're in a pub, chatting rubbish, 
And we want people to sit there at home listening going, oh, what a load of crap, or you nubbers, or, oh, yeah, never, never thought of that angle. So we like that, you know what I mean? So, for instance, on one of the last ones we talked about, the VJ Day, uh, Victory uh, Over Japan Day, and, we, and I talked about a bit I'd read and uh, heard about the, the nuclear attacks. That didn't stop the Japanese, apparently, the Japanese army were predominantly in China and they were all ready to come back and continue. So that was like new information for me. So in one of our one of our pages where this the pod the podcast went online, there was a couple of people talking about that. So the way I talked about the proc, they were talking about something else we brought up. And it's just like we try to find little facets of things beforehand. Um we talk about other comics, we talk about films, talk about sad sadly people who've passed on. Because again uh, exactly the same with this, uh, your podcast, Eamon. It's not just reaching people in the UK. It's reaching people on every part of the planet. So people who don't know what our sort of lifestyle is like. You know, I mean, we go to cons all the time, but not at the moment. Not now, no. But we, we're lucky. Uh, the Americans, are, we're, we're probably the luckiest because our country is small. So we can go to loads of cons without much distance. The Americans have some fantastic cons, but the distance is the killer for them. Yes. But you look at other countries around the world, I mean, Australia, a beautiful country, they don't have as many cons as us, but people would say, people would could rightly say, Canada, USA, Britain, New Zealand, Australia, very similar cultures. But in the comic world, convention going, very different. You know, New Zealand must be uh, very hard for the lads and lasses in New Zealand to go to conventions. But we're so lucky. So when we talk about things, especially when, when we go back to conventions and we have, do reports back, uh, which I do sometimes put YouTube videos up as well. Um, it, I, I think of the people who don't get to these things when I'm, when I'm thinking, well, what should I talk about? Because, yeah, we know exactly what goes on. I've seen you many times doing your fantastic work to, to, just to help fight cancer when you queue up for hours to get signatures on your, your books that then you put on, on, on eBay. Brilliant work. But other people wouldn't know that around the world unless unless you mentioned it or other people mentioned it to bring them in and then they go on ebay and they can buy something full well knowing that every signature in that book or on that cover of that comic is an official signature because you stood there for bloody hours for the, <laughs> for the well-being of other people, which is a fantastic thing. Many hours in a queue, but you're usually at the front of the queue, John. I know. <laughs> you're an so, early bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I am terrible. I mean, I do like the, I, I get lots of stuff signed now because that's my main thing for a laugh, just to see what I can do. Yeah. And I think I've got about 140 signatures in, in about four books that I'm collecting, like in each book. Yeah. Um, but the sad thing is you look at them now and you see a couple of the creators who've passed on, and it's, re- and it's just... It, it's sort of it's it, you know it's like losing a friend because yes. we've like I say it's a very small community and I, we mention this all the time um, uh, and when one of the gods like sadly Carlos passed away it hit everyone really hard because we'd only just seen him at a convention chatting to him you know I mean put everyone put the, I mean 
he's not the tallest of men, but if you puts an arm around him for a cuddle to get a picture, I mean, he must be getting pushed. He must have been getting pushed into the earth by all these arms on his shoulders. Yeah. But what a, I mean, he took it with such great grace. You know, I mean, he he, he didn't go bragging. I'm, I'm Carlos Square. I created, I co-created Judge Dredd. He just come to the conventions. He busted gut to give everyone a sketch. And then in the bar at night, he wants to probably talk to all of his creator friends. And then there's all of us bugalugs just telling them, oh, Carlos, have a picture. And he would just have to stand up, get a picture and all that. And this is all part of, like, when I do the stuff on the ECBT, on my side of it, I'll talk about the conventions and how nice it is to talk to these people. And, and I always say, we can say certain stories on things like this, but other stories can only be said in the bar. Yes. With, with a proviso. You can say this in a bar somebody, but don't put it on the web anywhere because these are stories that are the, the, these are the stories that flesh out the fun and the madness of it. So that's the sort of thing. And we say this sort of stuff before we record on ECBT. Uh, but yeah. I remember I remember when Carlos died, you and I met up um, a couple of days later at Orbital Comics uh, for a yes. Maze World signing with Arthur Ranson. Yes. Um, yeah, I remember we were talking about it then, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's sad because you you see um, again you see uh, a creator there who's not in the uh, in his youth, and but he had done all those fantastic sketches that were on display which we could luckily buy. Yes, right. And this is this is the thing: when these fantastic people pass on, their art will live forever. You know, same with the creators who write the books. I mean. What a fantastic! What a fantastic thing when they see their first ever story or their first ever artwork published. It, it must be like you know you've just had a child born yeah. and it's, it's being shown to the world. And uh, we're very lucky. We're very lucky to have such talented people in our tiny little world of 2000 AD. And the ones who've gone on to I won't say greater things. They've gone to other things around the world because as far as I'm concerned, you can't beat 2000 AD. It might have its downs, its troughs, but when it gets them crests, it is, you know, blasting out five stories. You don't, you don't always have the, the top five stories in there, but that's the whole thing with a uh, an anthology. You always get a couple in there that are brilliant. Everything comes back to two thousand AD, John. And that's that's what that's what we want in the end, don't we? We, yeah. want, we would like we would like to see. I would like personally to see more stuff written because I want to read more stuff. I want. Because it's, we've only got the prog and the meg. There's only so much pages can be filled, but there's so many creators out there, artists and writers, who probably want to work and probably have got the skill set to give us a brilliant idea. But yeah, there's only so much we can have. You mentioned community and conventions, and of course the other thing that you do as a guest project is that you started the 2000 AD Southern Contingent meetings that used to meet up, I guess what three, four times a year in yeah. a pub in London, usually with a sign-in or free comic book day. Um, of course, because of COVID, you've moved that or you moved that to Zoom for a while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. The, the whole idea for the Southern Contingent was: there's a lot of people who uh, don't go to conventions. Uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, very quiet on the web, but they, they. I think people would use the a bad term, lurkers. They're just quiet people. Um, and I believe that everyone has a chance to meet other people. And so I thought, do you know what? Uh, let's organise a, a meeting. We'll, we'll, we'll go to a pub. We'll pick a pub and stay at that pub because there's no point moving around until you've... Uh, we've, we've done that 
like five hours into a drinking session, we've, we've gone on because everyone's there. But I believe if you keep the same pub, then people, if they're even in the area and they go, oh, the Southern Contingents made the day, they'll be in that pub. So I created it so we could all meet up, talk about anything under the sun, because, like I say, there is quiet people. There is people who the convention scene isn't for them. And I understand that. You know what I mean? Where do you begin at a convention? And, and I've always said... It's very difficult unless a creator has got his name on his top. When you're at a convention, you don't want to be stood there going, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? So we all meet up. We chat about everything. We have a good laugh, a drink. Sometimes you have a meal. And if there's a signing on, free comic book day, we would always meet up on that day because uh, that was always a good day. And uh, we'd do like a Christmas meet-up, a summer meet-up, and an, an autumn. I really enjoy it because it's just relaxing. And we've had loads of creators there. We've had, yeah, some great people turned up, yes, yeah. come for a drink, yeah. That's right. And you never know who's going to turn up. So yeah. if, you ever, if you ever see when, when, when we're allowed to meet up again properly, we'll, uh, we'll start it up again properly. But in the meantime, I did three months, uh, I paid for three months on Zoom because uh, you, you could only get 40 minutes in a group or something. So I paid for three months. And we would meet up every Saturday. But I stopped that personally on the summer holidays because I needed to spend time with on the weekend with Sam because obviously got to do some family life and and if I was spending like middle of Saturday to the evening sort of thing on the computer we couldn't go out for the day and very nicely Stephen Ross from the uh, ECBT he took over the mantle and used the Facebook page. Oh, right, yes. Meeting room, so he's done that for the last month and a bit. Um, and I've, I've managed to pop in twice, just like for a little bit, because we've been out doing country walks and things like that and visiting the seaside, uh, things. So it, it it is a full-on thing of, of, of people meeting up and people chatting about everything. I mean, I popped in for about half an hour yesterday at the end, and it was, it was good to see people doing artwork. They were talking about the 77 comic and things oh, like yes, that. Oh, yes, yeah. But, yeah. So I'll link to the Southern Contingent Facebook page on the show notes for this episode when it comes out. And if anybody, you always say this, John, if anybody in their area is thinking of setting up a similar meeting, come along to the Southern Contingent page and get a few tips about it. Yeah, they can they can message me. I've quite happily, uh, there was one man who set up the Eastern Contingent, didn't he? Gary Hill, who's been on this That's podcast, right. yes. That's right. He, he messaged me and I said, well, this is what you got to do. I said, and I, I said, you have to be fair. You, when you pick a date... You've got to go, right, that's the date. Yeah, if you can't make it, I'm sorry, but we'll have another one later on in the year. You have to be brutal for the date. That's all you've got to be. Um, but the rest, people turn up, and once they start to see how enjoyable it is, then more people turn up, and that's how it begins. But like I say, with the COVID, it sort of killed it in its tracks at the moment. But um, I'm sure once it once it's over... We'll have a good old meet-up at the end of all this. and um, We will meet again one sunny day, John. Oh, very good, very good. Yes. <laughs> Splendid. John, it's been fantastic having you on at last. Uh, welcome to the book club, finally. Thank you so much for giving up your time and for talking about Rico the, Dread, uh, the Titan years. It's been a pleasure, and all I can say to people is, Please buy it, because you will enjoy it. You will you will enjoy the, the cleverness of how a... Working for twenty years on Titan, how how Michael can make such a a very bland potential story into exciting stories. Fantastic stuff! Great great work by Michael Carroll. Thank you, John.
Thank you. And thank you for everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find out more at megacitybookclub.com where you'll also find links to all of John's other projects. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the 2080 forums and on Spotify. Or you can get in touch by emailing me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that'll do us. Until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and... Goodbye from me! Goodbye from me!